Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. This is a special Super Bowl 2023 edition of the CMO Podcast. This is becoming an annual tradition. It's the fourth year we have hosted a Super Bowl after party, where we invite several advertisers from the big game to share their insights, stories, and lessons. And about 100 senior marketers joined us live on Zoom for the after party. A few of them will come in at the end of the show with their quick hot takes and insights. This year, we truly have an all-pro lineup. Deb Wall, CMO of General Motors GM, Todd Kaplan, CMO of Pepsi, Rafik Lawendi from Planners, Dana Marino, CMO of Rakuten, Nicole Parlapiano of Tubi, whose 60-second ad won the Super Clio Award this year, Tim Armstrong, the founder and CEO of Flowcode, and we even have the CMO of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, Laura Krug, to get our discussion started. But first, Gary Vaynerchuk, CEO of VaynerMedia, will join me for a short chat to set the stage for our Super Super Bowl after party. Footnote, VaynerMedia was the ad agency for three Super Bowl ads this year, two for Pepsi and one for Planners. Here's Gary. Hey, Gary. Great to see you, Jim. Great to be here, buddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you for jumping in. I know everyone's busy given the incredible crew we have here. So thank you for allocating your time and attention to this combo. Gary, this is the fourth year in a row we've done this together. It's such a pleasure to do this with you. I love it. I look forward to it. We have to do it in person one of these years. We well, I think we started in we person. did we the first one in person, but yep. uh, I don't know then if you COVID. heard about this. There was a global pandemic. I don't know if yeah. you heard Jim. Um, that kind of threw us off. But I, to your point, I think we're kind of back. So I think we should make a commitment right here, right, right off now. the bat, that this will be in person. Uh, and so that means everyone on this call, please make sure you're uh, in New York the the first week after the Super Bowl. We've got a year to plan. You know, that's the tough part, right? Like there are real wins and losses. Like there's so many great things that came out of COVID. So many of our friends on here right now are just, if we make this Tuesday, February 16th next year in New York, are just not going to be part of this discussion mm. and we'll be there. And so I think we've got to find our balance, but nonetheless, it's great to be here. I'm excited to talk about it. So Gary, I got up early on Super Bowl Sunday and I turned on my TV and I saw you being interviewed in Glendale early in the morning with a, with a nice turtleneck on, talking about your parents, which was beautiful. But I want you to tell us about the weekend a bit. What, what inspired you? What did you do? Who, what was really remarkable for you? I can definitely tell you that um, one of the worst strategic decisions of my career was to wake up at 4 a.m. <laughs> in Arizona to do that spot, um, knowing that TV consumption on cable is so low right now that I probably had less people watching that than are listening to this interview right now. Um, and you by had the way, me. I don't know if you know this, the desert, Arizona is very cold at 5 a.m. Yeah, yeah. Really cold. And I only had a t-shirt it, and then I put the turtleneck, thank God, at the last second. But 
Um, what, you know, look, I had the fortune to, I see Ian's in here and there's some others, you know, for me, Super Bowl can, why I'm going to Utah tomorrow for all-star A&A in Orlando, all of it, especially in post-COVID, is to get quality time with quality people. I think when I look at the faces here, a lot of people I know, a lot of people I know super well, a lot of people I don't know that great, or I used to know really well and not as much these days. Anytime you can get 15, 20, 30 minutes of a real conversation where you can not only talk about the things off the field, family, real life, you have that bond, but even if you can get 10, 15 minutes of real talk, right? Business challenges, like this is a fun combo. We get to talk about creativity, um, you know, messaging, branding. And then there's just the realities of actual business that everybody here thinks about, which is like the PL and, you know, what is the economy structure. And so just what I would say is quality of conversation and being able to actually just spend some time and have serendipity. You know, one thing Zoom mm-hmm. doesn't do is allow for serendipity. Yep. So, you know, the commissioners, uh, uh, the owners brunch, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to be in there and just the incredible level of conversations I was able to have with Fortune 500 companies and platforms and other individuals felt like 17 flights worth of business Mm -hmm. being done. I find these things to be more efficient than actually doing the trips one by one. And so I really look forward to it on a human level. Yeah. Hey, listen, I I listened to our conversation last year at this time. And I think the work this year generally was better. I'm not sure where you are on that. But in the in last year's podcast or recording, you were very vocal that we overused celebrities last year. And yes. you felt it was lazy on the part of marketers. I kind of felt celebrities were used a bit differently this year. So I'd like you to, are you still feeling that way after looking at this body of work or, or not? One thing I've been thinking a lot about is hypocrisy at scale in society. And so as the gentleman who had incredible passion that celebrities are used too much, that had his agency use Ben Stiller and Steve Martin and then have a roast of Mr. Peanut. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, look, I, you know, my father it has a great saying in Russian that translates to whoever signs the check gets to pick the music, right? And so, <laughs> you know... Um, Look, I, I continue to believe there's opportunity. You think you think about, you know, Nicole's a, f- a former Vayner alum to, to see what Tubi did. I, mm. you know, think back to the year before the QR code. I continue to believe interrupting attention, breaking patterns, trying different things is the kissing cousin to using celebrities that make you feel something or think something. The clueless recall, Ben Stiller, I thought was, and Steve Martin, like, you know, I, you know, and then you, so like, I think there's a lot of ways to slice it. Um, I think a lot about, I continue to be overly passionate that everybody on this call needs to stand up their own mascot. I think we need to bring it back to the sixties and seventies. I really believe that so much more ownable, um, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, I continue to think that there's better arbs than the celebrity fee, notwithstanding the fact that those celebrities bring enormous amount of tension and feelings. There are many, when I think of, for example, let's talk about Pipsy, and I know Todd's here. There's such warm feelings towards those two individuals. They lack controversy. They have an overall halo effect of like trust and goodwill. The subconscious of those two did this. I may try this when I see it at Fountain today or when I'm at 7-Eleven. That's just real psychology. That's real life. And that gets into the logic of why. And then you have, you know, 
Tubi interrupting or like the Clueless play does that. Like nostalgia, I think is very underpriced. So I like when we use celebrities in a recall like that. And so I think there's a lot of ways to hack human emotion to create consideration. And I think we get to see all those displayed during Super Bowl, which is why I think we enjoy it, especially for the people here who really think that branding and marketing is the ultimate sales engine. And I would argue almost all of us on this call believe that to be true. But I think we all can also agree that when branding and marketing is done poorly, it can be one of the great wastes of money uh, in a business. And so I think that keeps us all up at night and sharp at night. And and I like that. And I like being a part of this community. And I just want to say hi to everyone. Gary, you're a high touch leader. You know, the book that you published last year was all about that. Your team, VaynerMedia, did three ads for the Super Bowl this year, two on Pepsi, one on planners. You know, and people are nervous when they do this work because it's showcase, you know, the stage is, is really big. What did you say to your team about the work before it went live? You know, I don't know if Rob and I know Nick is here. I saw him in the chat. Now I see him on my screen. Is Rob here? Um, I don't know if Rob's here, but I'll tell you what my team will tell you is I'm I'm a funny character. There's like three to seven things I'm passionate about, and I'll really put a lot of energy on that. Um, emotional happiness and all that is why I think mm -hmm. Vayner's doing what it's doing. Um, and uh, but when it comes to the work, which is so powerful, for example, let's just use Rob in this example. To this year, you know, Todd to give him some roses while he's on here. Todd is an unusual client that I would argue is similar to Nick and I, where He's an operator who probably just has naturally better talent creatively, subjectively than your average like person. It just is what it is. And he has passion for it in a way that Nick, who does client for us, who's on this call, and I, who am an operator and a CEO, he has passion for it and he's good at it. And so that's a different kind of client. So for this year, for example, what was most exciting to me is I always have my special relationship with Todd. Nick, because he's an account person that blends into creative in, in a weird way, similar to Todd. I actually see them. I haven't said this to them, but I'll just do it right here. They have so many similarities. They operate, but they have creative skills. What was fun about this year was this was a year that I felt that Rob, our chief creative officer, is now in really in year three of his journey with us and brings all the years of what makes Madison Avenue great, but I think now has a sensibility that makes what's been going on with Vayner happen. And I think this was a year that Rob and 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 Todd really molded together and built their creative bond. Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't say anything. My team knows that I continue to give them pure freedom, but would prefer for them to create very direct business results, direct calls to action and stand up mascots. We did not do that and that's okay. Um, because again, back to whoever pays for the music gets to pick the song. Um, so I try to influence strategy, but I don't micromanage it, especially because mm -hmm. I'm empathetic that these are big ass bets and, and Rafiq and Todd and, you know, Nicole, like they need to make their, their, and, and we didn't do the creative for Tubi. We're a partner in a different way, but, um, we, we got to leave them freedom in this bag. I'm still trying to win the day-to-day -day commercials battle. Super yep. Bowl takes everyone's intensity to another place altogether. So I try to tread lightly while inspiring, like don't compromise and completely make it vanilla. Cause I think we can all agree. And this is scary. We can all agree that there are some Super Bowl commercials that ran four days ago that we are not going to be able to recall here. Sure. And we're professionals in it. Yep. We're professionals in this. We're having a Thursday meeting about it. 
right? We're hanging. Yep. And, yep. And, a, and, a, and, and there's absolutely some commercials that so were vanilla that we're going to struggle here. And that's how you fall into, don't forget it's 7 million just to get the awareness. There's production, there's the agency fee, there's right. that pocket. Like you're talking about a 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. you know, 10, if you got lucky, million dollar miss and no business wants that, let alone in this environment. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Gary, you're a big Jets fan, so I'm going to give you the privilege of welcoming into our conversation the Kansas City Chiefs CMO, Laura Krug, world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Come on in, Laura. Welcome to the break. Oh, nice. All the way through. I mean, did you know that Elton John's favorite rapper is Tech Nine? I did not. That. See? Of course. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really I, appreciate it. But I do know that I'm extremely jealous of you since I've never <laughs> been, the Jets have never been to a Super Bowl in my lifetime. And, uh, and so you were going to be part of this because you're in our incredible, this is everyone here is part of this incredible family of like, like-minded individuals. But the fact that your incredible football team who's been in wildly consistent at the top tier over the last five years has now found themselves a second title must feel just outrageous, huh? Honestly, outrageous. It's, it's a bit surreal. Um, I think what's the most surreal I've been here for about it's my second season now, obviously, having spent some time in Anheuser-Busch before. Um, to see the city, I, I mean, literally grocery stores were shutting down before the game was played, right? Like the 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 that doesn't happen in most places, having grown up in a couple different places, right? So to see the city, to see um, I think just the global fandom that is that has happened over the last few years. Um, certainly being on the business side of it, you know, there's only so much you can control. <laughs> right. Um, and so it, it's, it's pure um, joy and happiness. And I think everyone's just a, a little bit on, I don't even know, cloud nine, cloud 10, cloud 11 at this point. Um, so we're, we're super proud. And, you know, I think in many ways it is just the beginning for the dynasty, hopefully, but also I think for, for fans around the world who, you know, may not be like you, Gary, and a huge Jets fan, like a lot of people don't have the loyalty yet to a team. So I feel like we're on our way well, to becoming well, one. Th- this is to your point. This might be very fascinating for a lot of people. This is the globalization of American football is clearly on, right? The Germany execution was great. Um, London's been going on for a while. Yeah. Obviously, I'm trying to strategize my way to Jets ownership. So I have a lot of relationships. And <laughs> Maybe we on this call can help you, Gary. Maybe we can <laughs> yeah, do that. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Directly, or indir- directly or indirectly, Jim. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I think what, to your point, Laura, I think, you know, you're, you're hot as an organization because, you know, most of my, ch- you know, I've been watching football for 40 years. Most of my, you know, entire life, the Chiefs, barely even made the playoffs. And when they did, they would have heartbreakers like they did in 93 and things of that nature. So you're getting hot. 
at the same exact time that American football has decided it needs to be global because, you know, proper football is the NBA is further along. Now you're doing this to your point. I would argue the chiefs, especially how young Patrick is, has disproportionate potential to become the biggest global team in the world. If this is a five-year window over the next five years that adopts a lot of people in Asia, Latam and Europe, I'm sure you're thinking about that quite a bit. A hundred percent. I mean, um, I'll say, I think that was pretty much one of the main reasons I was brought in. Um, People are always shocked to hear the chiefs didn't actually have a formal marketing team before Mm -hmm. I joined. They've never had a CMO. Um, And and it's not because they weren't doing an amazing job. They were clearly doing an amazing job, but the change has started to happen where the fandom is not only in Kansas city right now, it, 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 it's actually fascinating. We're, we're one of the most displaced teams in the NFL 32, and yet we have the highest avidity of fandom. And so to your point, Gary, I mean, with us playing in Germany next year, it's definitely our focus trying to find the right way to connect the game, the players, um, our heritage, obviously with the Hunt family. How do you do that in a world where not everyone can come to the stadium, right? Even if we built 12 stadiums on top of each other, it's not going to be hundreds of millions of people that obviously many of the partners on here, right, are, are advertising on. So it's a huge focus of ours and and we're just trying to capitalize on it right now because it is the window. If we don't do it now, it will be passed, right? Yeah, so somebody, you got to go yeah. now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Laura, from Sunday morning until today, what's been the most memorable part of this experience? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, you know, I actually will say, I think, um, I think post game, I mean, I mean, the win was obviously post the win though. And having our organization come together, having the players and, and ownership and the business staff and everyone that works really, really hard that doesn't necessarily get all the credit, right. Getting us all together to celebrate it is a pretty extraordinary thing. Um, and then yesterday, you know, riding on buses and watching an entire city literally shut down to celebrate a sport, right. Is it's remarkable. So I don't know if I could pick one, but I would say those two. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's good. Well, listen, uh, I want you to, we're going to bring Deb Waugh from GM into the conversation, and they just did an amazing amount of creative work in this game. And Laura, I'd like you to welcome Deb in and maybe have the first question for her. Ooh, welcome, Deb. Very nice to meet you. Um, thank you, uh, Gary and Jim, for having us all together. Um, so I guess one question I have for you is, so I remember um, being on the other side um, and the ad meter comes out and it's everyone's kind of focus and favorite point of attention for you. What was the thing on Monday morning or at least on late on Sunday night that you felt like this was going to be successful or not, or, or, and how did you judge that internally? Thank you, Laura. And hi everyone. It's great to hear your point of view on everything, because I think it's really interesting as we all think what platforms like Super Bowl mean for the future. Um, since they're one, there aren't that many anymore that draw 113 million people. Um, So my most uh, important thing was actually Motley Fool, which came out and said that, you know, we had done our earnings announcement on the 31st. We started showing our first spot on the February 2nd. And we had a great um, year, thanks to all the work of all the team members at GM. So our stock price went up, which was great. And then when we launched the Netflix partnership, um, investors acknowledge that this is a different way to start thinking about 
doing marketing investments and brand partnerships overall. So our stock went up again and they gave us credit for another 6%, which was great. And then of course the Jim Stengel, which I call the true ad meter because <laughs> as, we, as we all know, ad meter is quite yeah. something. Anyways, I won't say any more about that, but I mean, how many people actually rate 51 some spots and do it? So what kind of fidelity do you have on that? Deb, um, Deb, Deb we have some things in common. You know, I once did an ad with Will Ferrell. We did it with Old Spice and Semi-Pro tie-up. And we shot about 35 ads with him, and we never gave him a script. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about Will Ferrell and your team. Was he scripted, or was that him being Will? You know, Will always gets some ideas, but it's Will being Will. He's he's amazing. And he is, is I think one of the best talents uh, I've ever worked with. Um, and uh, he always comes through something more, but most genuinely, if you remember, like we, we used Will two years ago when we issued the first challenge of yeah. Norway. America versus Norway. Yeah. <laughs> and that was something he was completely honestly and authentically engaged with. So when we had this opportunity to come back and, and take it to the next level about, all right, how do you normalize the idea of EVs for America and especially um, worldwide, definitely, but especially in the US, um, he was amazing on that part. And I like that. I think continuity and consistency um, with when you use celebrities is really important. And I have just so much respect for him. He also was amazing. He came internally he became a contract employee and, you know, went and participated in our Yammer discussions and Yammer pages. He shot the most hilarious um, video showing his Hummer EV and, um, you know, said thank you to all of our um, employees in the plant who actually build the cars. And, you know, it just kind of brings the whole importance of something like a platform like Super Bowl, how important it is on so many levels. I love what you do about making a statement about your strategy and your culture on the Super Bowl. And I think that's such a smart strategy internally and externally. Could you talk a bit more about that, Deb? Um, yeah, I think it's right now when there's so much transformation going on, that's what makes a difference. And again, for us, this was really interesting. We didn't just do a one product shot. We were trying to showcase a different relationship with Netflix, which is the largest content producer. And by the way, they were awesome to work with. I really appreciate their team. A lot of creativity, a lot of real focus. Um, they are the largest streamer. They truly impact culture. Um, and I think as we all look in the future, you know, we all know ads are how effective are ads. It's how do we use all these other channels and, and, and ways of getting our messages across. So that's why I was especially interested. Now, the other thing I would share with everyone, it's a lot of work to do like a big partnership like that. It took us a lot. This was not something we cooked up in the last, you know, six months. It takes a lot of extra work to do something that appears like that. So um, I think that's important for everyone to know. And then we see it as a platform that can continue on and on because we have GM energy, we have sustainability in common. We have all these things that apart from any ad relationships that we do with Netflix, which this does allow us to also be a first mover in that partnership, um, is really important. And I think that's the way as we think about marketing in the future, 
I really wanted to do this and the team did because I think that signifies where we should go as an industry and how we should start thinking about things differently. And even, you know, again, you know, we debate every year, should we really invest all this money in Super Bowl? And Mm -hmm. I'm really worried because there aren't that many platforms that gather a lot of people anymore collectively. And that's important for humans. You know, we we want that common experience, but how are we going to achieve that in a couple more years? Um, So I think that's why we should, it's important to experiment and, and really look at different ways of doing that. Gary, anything for Deb before we let her go? The the, the last couple of things she just chatted about really got me going on two fronts. One, to her point, and I think, you know, it's so weird because I was the social digital guy, but I've been beating the drum of Super Bowls underpriced for a decade and like, and agree with Deb, like on, I, you know, just very honestly, I would continue to spend as much as I could if I had one of these roles on Super Bowl, because I think actualized consumption, actualized consumed reach versus potential reach are two very different things. So I think her point is absolutely right there. And then just because how my brain works, when she talked about the importance of us having these collective moments, it makes a lot of sense given the last decade of what we've dealt with. But recency bias is something I'm thinking a lot about. And where my brain went was before television and radio, we didn't have that. And what did that actually mean? And so I got a little bit weird about like thinking about the 1800s for a second. So (laughs) that's where Deb took me personally, but I'm not sure if that's relevant for this. So I think we should move on. But Deb, congrats on everything. You know, I know we get to jam a little bit here on our LinkedIn chats and things of that nature, but I continue to really root for you. And I really do appreciate some of the different things that you spearhead. And I think it's important for the industry. Thanks, you guys. Great to see everybody. Deb, we're going to bring in another CMO who knows a little bit about entertainment. We have Todd Kaplan, CMO of Pepsi, who's going to join the conversation. And Deb, I'm going to let you ask the first question to Todd. GM to Pepsi. Here we go. Yeah. Well, I was watching with interest as you changed your attack from, you know, sponsoring the halftime show to really a a really great presence with storytelling that was continuous. So how do you feel about that? And what's your thought about Super Bowls in the future? Yeah, I I feel great about it. At the end of the day, um, I think to your point, there's no other platform like it where you get over 100 million people all together talking about the same thing, going on the ups and downs and all of that. And I think the the whole idea of Super Bowl is kind of what you do with those moments and how you capitalize on that is more than just eyeballs, right? And that's where all the storytelling of the before and all the PR, all the after, all the during and the social commentary and all of that. And I think we made a strategic shift to move away from the halftime show. Um, and again, and it was 10 years for us. And I think it was time for us to kind of turn the page and move on to what's next. And we're feeling great about that. And this year, you know, we had a really, uh, it was a different brief because it was very um, product focused. Really, we had reformulated our Pepsi Zero Sugar formula and um, we really had a goal of trial. And uh, it's an interesting brief for something like Super Bowl, trying to get someone to try your product. And especially when, as we were just talking about early on, there's this healthy, uh, there's a really sharp insight of that is there's a healthy distrust that consumers have of advertising in general of why the hell should I believe this person? I paid them money. They're only saying that because I paid them to say that. And um, that that offense is done the worst on Super Bowl Sunday. So we said, what if we lean into that tension and bring you know two beloved actors, Steve Martin, Ben Stiller together to kind of play this little, is it real or is it acting game with everybody? And have them, the big punchline is they try the product, like, wow, that's really good. Or 
or is it? I don't know. You try it yourself, you know? Um, and uh, we put our money where our mouth is. And we also gave out online over 10 million sample, up to 10 million samples uh, of the product to make sure people actually could try it. And uh, we were really happy with the results. Obviously, it was a big shift for us coming from, you know, the halftime show and the amount of discussion that that drives. But even with that, you know, we still drove a ton of share and voice. Um, you know, Kim from my team is on here and a number of other folks uh, from the Vayner crew uh, had a war room over at Twitter where we continued to drive a lot of social conversation and dialogue and uh, really showed that, you know, with some spots in the game, some billboards, some clever online stuff, you could still drive, you know, a, a lot of share of voice is one of the most talked about uh, brands, as well as, you know, we still got almost up to 30 billion uh, earned media impressions out of it from the PR pre and during and it's also going to be launching a new campaign we'll be talking about in uh, in another week or so uh, with some more beats that are come also. So we're feeling great about it. Todd, if you look out three months from now, what will you say? If, if Will this be effective if what happens? What, higher trial? Yeah, I think for us, the, the proof is in the pudding with uh, this is a critical product and category mm-hmm. for us to grow. And um, literally just getting it in people's mouths. Uh, the reformulation we have, it's um, it's an advantage product. We know it's better than our competitors and we just need to get it in people's hands. So uh, that's going to be a big push and just continuing to kind of drive that uh, awareness of that we have a, a zero sugar product as well. I want to talk to Todd for a moment about creativity, Gary. Uh, I've, I've tweeted that PepsiCo may be the best company to consistently produce Super Bowl level quality work. And the work on Popcorners and Doritos this year was just terrific. So Todd, if you could put your big corporate hat on, yes, sure. what is it about this culture that just consistently delivers this kind of creativity. It's um, it's something where you know, and and listen, there's a the benefit of we have these big brands and this household penetration in these products, right? So the game we're playing on some is a little bit different. So you look at popcorners versus Pepsi, or even back years ago when I launched Bubbly, and it was about driving awareness. Mm-hmm. And what is this new product? So the brief's going to change every year if you're trying to drive awareness, affinity, equity, all the you know trial, whatever it ends up being. But I think, um, you know, knowing kind of the scale and the power of, um, you know, how to tap into consumers and knowing that we don't sell direct to consumer, we need to really maintain more than just top of mind awareness. We need to really get that emotional connection and get people talking about our brands and more um, into the ether. And I think um, a lot of the models that we've kind of built at PepsiCo have fueled um, some really kind of creative and, and out of the box thinking. You know, it's kind of funny. I was doing some talking to someone the other day as we were talking about the ad meter and we were debating how horrible the metrics are with that and all that stuff. But we were looking up some of the past that, um, you know, Pepsi has four of the top five rated ad meter spots of all time. And actually there was a survey that shows we're the most associated brand of all brands with the Super Bowl. When you think of 40 years back of advertising, the halftime show, all of that. And so there's a big also internal, I think, pride and kind of legacy of wanting to you know, we have a little bit of a competitive fire between us and Frito mm-hmm. on the beverage and snack side and, and wanted to continue to push forward. And the Doritos and Popcorners uh, folks did a great job this year as well. But um, I think it's just, um, you know, continuing to push forward and and think of these brands and how you can tap into the fact that there's all these cultural truths and how you can kind of turn them and play with them. And your creative process is really, um, you know, how we get it done. Gary, your team works with Pepsi. Do you want to comment on that? Add to that about the what's special about this culture? Yeah, I think I put it in the chat. I'm also noticing a lot of people are not part of the chat. All the good stuff is going on in the chat, along with me and Jim trying to as always. Please get in there because I think you know this is going to end in 30 minutes. I think for a lot of people, if you're just consuming it and not participating, I think that 
renders the experience not as strong. Uh, I said in the chat, I think pop culture actually matters to PepsiCo. Now look, they have youth products. There's some reasons why that makes sense, but I think it does. And I do think that brands that may skew a little older also can win on pop culture that is relevant to the audience they're trying to reach. And so I, I, I believe it's in the DNA in the halls. You see it consistently. And I think that it, the ideation starts. Uh, so I, under the hood, am very aware of the other ideas that were being debated. And I can tell you all of them were grounded in all sorts of layers of popular culture. And I think, you know, Vayner has been thinking a lot lately about why we're over-indexing with our social work and our above-the-line work to the business result. And a lot of it sits in what Peter Chun, who's here, does on platform, and a lot sits on Wanda and Rob and strategy and, and creative. It's We're obsessed with this concept of pack. We call it platform and culture. Mm -hmm. And so I think Pepsi's dominating on culture time and time again. And I think platform is, do you understand the distribution? Do you understand like what the, did you understand the uh, the assignment? Super Bowl's got 30 second video or so, obviously sometimes 45, sometimes 60. And then obviously that plays out dramatically in other platforms. Rafiq did, you know, Mr. Peanut did the assignment there, but then also extended the assignment to Tubi and executed very different creative there that looks like actual production of a thing, not a commercial. And so I think, Everyone in this room, because I'm always obsessed with why did people allocate time here? So if you leave with anything, this acronym of like PAC, the platform and the mm -hmm. current state of the culture of your consumer, if you can synthesize that to being contextually relevant to your distribution in an emerging streaming world, which is going to eat up most of television as we know it, and in social, which has all the rest of the attention, but it also plays out to activations it, to billboards, to radio, to Spotify. Uh, so I think on the culture side, which we think is the one of the mm -hmm. two pillars that dominates success, I think it's just in their DNA. I think just just to add one last thing before you, you move on to, I would also say is the, um, aside from the cultural truths, it's the commitment to the craft, I would say, of how we partner with our, our, our agencies and people who get us there, whether it's our in-house people who do stuff out of Dallas and Plano, or as you were talking about how we worked with Rob and team, um, you know, we get under the hood into the creative craft of it all versus, you know, sit at our seat and just buy ideas from people. And so I think that's a, uh, the executions, you know, uh, the difference that sometimes makes a difference in some of this work that sometimes you have a great idea that isn't executed the right way and all that kind of stuff. And so we, we really blur those lines. Mr. Peanut, come into this conversation with Mr. Pepsi. Rafiq Lewandi, head of marketing for Planters, join our conversation. I, I hope you guys are friends. I mean, peanuts and Pepsi. I mean, it's perfect. <laughs> That's it. We need to work on that. Yes. I mean, I, I got I, Todd, I share a lot of what you said. I, mean, I obviously spent 10 years of my career at PepsiCo, and I, yeah. I would say it's the pride in our in the brands and PepsiCo brands, and it's the care that you know starts from leadership at the very top to the bottom. Like it's just appreciation for creative and appreciation for kind of just being part of culture, which a lot of times you take for granted, but they're actually not present across, you know, all companies. So mm -hmm. fully agree with you there. Right. Rafiq, you have had a long-term commitment to the Super Bowl. And, you know, I, and I think it was an un unexpected brand to come into the Super Bowl a few years ago. So would you speak to why this has worked for you so well? And is it a tough sell internally to be involved year in and year out? 
we haven't asked that question once so far. Hmm. So that's how successful it has been. I fully agree with Gary. At this point in time, this is the biggest moment for storytelling. This is the biggest moment for engagement and inviting consumers to also participate in telling your story. And so that's what we've been doing consistently and kind of particularly since the moment we kind of killed Mr. Peanut and locked all that love and kind of moment for him in culture, we've been on a roll. And frankly, what I also love about Super Bowl is like every year, you kind of have to see where the culture is going and where your brand, you know, needs to achieve and then find that, you know, crazy connection between. And so, you know, one year we didn't even part be part of Super Bowl officially. We actually were because we donated our money to, you know, little acts of extraordinary substance on, you know, at, during COVID time. Last year, we played the whole game around, you know, one nutter, you know, or all yeah. nuts at a time yep. and, you know, into mixed nuts. And it was the first time we actually moved away from Mr. Peanut and really focused on snacking. And then this year we got him back again because it is time for peanuts. It is a recessionary time. Peanuts are an amazing snack that are very much underrated. And so, honestly, Super Bowl has worked so well for us, um, you know, year on year. Obviously, partnership with Vayner has been incredible as well. And every year, I think we're just continuing to raise the bar. How do you judge success, Rafiq? Is it volume, share, conversations, discussion? What is it? Definitely uh, our presence in store and share. And that has been improving. I would say year one, when we kind of killed Mr. Peanut, we were kind of almost did not even plan for anything in store. This year, we kind of have, you know, way more planned ahead. We have Walmart for the first time supporting us and giving us a lot of space in store. So we actually are, you know, increasingly doing better in execution in store, which is driving our success. And then obviously, you know, impressions and uh, engagement from consumers. And uh, that's, you know, so far, again, we're, we're doing really well there. I loved your concept this year, by the way, for the Vayner team and you made to be roasted. I mean, it's so perfect. It's so obvious. It's so creative. And the way you executed it just was so much fun. So could you talk a little bit about the origin of the concept? We're always looking to get, you know, original concepts and marketing concepts that will break through. We do concept testing all the time. Talk about that concept. The, the, I remember the brief. The brief in the, in the tweet was like, enjoy the peanuts. Um, and, and if you think about that's as simple as that. And I think coming out of and you, by the way, and, 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 and everyone wonders why agencies are all driving themselves crazy. Talk about having a lot of room in that brief, right? Yep, yep. Yep. You know, I'm I, I, sorry to jump in, Rafiq, but I, just a point that's that good. I've been thinking a lot about the brief is really fun because that's a dream because Rob prefers that. Rob's team prefers that. That means they can do whatever the hell they want. I, on the other hand, like from a day-to-day standpoint, take Super Bowl out, think that a lot of the brands here, again, trying to bring value to this call in a different way, getting briefs that have a ton of teeth in them from a day-to-day marketing standpoint is something that we need to add to our infrastructure, especially with social. As every brand here goes to a model of doing social marketing on a daily basis because how much brand is being built there, more and more briefs with like very narrow, like, consumer segmentations or like very sharp, tight, very narrow briefs will really help because I think it helps on relevance. But for Super Bowl, that wide of a brief is like a creative's dream, but sometimes puts you into a swirl. Let's bring in Dana Marino of Rakuten into the conversation. And Rafik, I'll let you welcome her and, and maybe have a question for Dana, who has been in the Super Bowl now two years in a row, correct? So we'll talk about that in a moment. But Rafik, back to you to bring Dana in with a question. Yeah, no, so Dana, we've been obviously partnering on the creative side as well. Um, so excited to, to see you again this year. So 
tell us what, what was your most exciting moment for, for this week as, as you prepped for Super Bowl? Oh my gosh. Nice to see you, Rafiq, and of course, both of you. My most exciting moment was coming into this office on Monday mm. and just the elation of everyone in the company, from the people who actually worked on the Super Bowl ad and the campaign, which I think you guys know, we, we have an in-house brand and creative team. We don't have an agency. To the engineers, to member support, to everyone in the company, just that pride and the press coverage that um, was just truly stunning for the last couple of weeks on the Rakuten Clothes campaign. People just, you can feel in their bones the excitement and the pride for the company. That was definitely my best moment. Dana, you had... You had Hannah last year, Hannah Waddingham of Ted Lasso, and you felt really good about the ROI last year. You thought it was really productive. This year, you had Alicia Silverstone of Clueless, brilliant tie-in, by the way. How do you feel? I know it's early, but how do you feel about the impact this year, the ROI this year of your effort? Yeah, I I love all the questions about, is the Super Bowl worth it? Because I do feel passionately about that. And, you know, we do watch, of course, what happens that day. And I will say to your question, yes, app downloads are up, shopping is up, signups, you know, signups are up, search volume is up, all those indicators that we feel great about that one day. But truly, that's not why we do the Super Bowl, to your point about Hannah. What we look at is the year-long results of what happens over the year. And things like our brand awareness number went up four points. And every one of you on this call knows how hard it is to move even half a point, right? Rakuten is not a household name in the US quite yet. It is, of course, in Asia. And so we're really working on that brand awareness. So four points year on year, that's a big deal. And we had, you know, I talked to Jim last week about this. We had 10% lift in our buyers over the year. And so many metrics like that, that tell us, yes, the Super Bowl is worth it. Yes, that day we look at those numbers, but it's really the year long effort that we prove we belong here. I know you feel one benefit of the Super Bowl is the impact on your culture inside. The pride, the buzz, you just talked about that when you came in on Monday morning. So could you say a bit more about why that is so important for you and how you leverage that? Yeah, I, I mean, part of the pride is the in-house team. Part, part of that is being able to do something like the Super Bowl all on the inside of our own house. There is an incredible feeling that comes with. But, you know, I think all of us can relate to how hard it's been to get employees back to the office. And, there, you know, that has been a true struggle of ours, you know, across the board, leaders everywhere of all kinds thinking about that. And I will say, the more we're together, the more prideful we feel, the more we think about it. And then when we do big milestone moments like the Super Bowl and other big campaigns like this, it helps people want to be part of the culture and want to be with their teammates and want to be in the office. And so that's part of, you know, we, with an in-house team, you know, trying to keep these creatives, as you guys all know, motivated and inspired and working on cool stuff. And the Super Bowl, of course, is one of those things. And just getting people together to celebrate like this has been really impactful on our culture. Gary, over to you. Anything for Dana? You know, what, what is the biggest fear when you go into this kind of bet from your standpoint? I see some questions about measurability, there's a lot of people here, you Tinder, I think Melissa jumped on it as well. Like, you know, again, I, I come from a lens of, I'm a businessman who happens to be infatuated and enjoys marketing and branding because I think it's the best way to build an actual business. What about what about the flip side of all this nirvana and us all hanging out and enjoying this combo? Like in an organization that's, you know, a real company, uh, there there's going to be CFOs, there's going to be CEOs, there's going to be board members, there's going to be people that are saying, prove it. 
like, cool, you measured it throughout the year, but what about the end caps at this? Or what about that business? But like, where does it, where does the rubber hit the road for you and anybody else in the chat? Cause I know that's seems to be the tone and tenor of some of the combo in a different lane. I mean, I, it's a great question and this sort of age-old debate about the Super Bowl and is it worth it? And I think it depends on the company. It depends on where your company is in its life stage. I think it depends on what you need to do within the region. Like in this U.S. region, we need to build awareness and understanding of Rakuten, right? We have a lot of people who have heard our name because they see us on the Golden State Warriors jersey or they know us, you know, from the Barcelona jersey in Europe or Japan, you know, whatever it is, but they don't know what Rakuten is, right? So I think it depends. I mean, Pepsi has a totally different um, strategy than we do, right? As relates to culture and the Super Bowl, we need people to become aware and understand how meaningful Rakuten can be. And so you're right. We do look at those metrics, the, you know, the week before, the day of, the week after, over the year, the next quarter. I mean, we look at the science. I assure you, it's just we have multiple layers by which we measure success, some of which, of course, is what happens that day on our site and in our app and what happens over the year as we're trying to build the engagement and build the awareness. So, Dana, stay with us for a minute. We're going to bring in Nicole Parlapiano from Tubi. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the conversation. Hi. A couple of days after your Super Bowl spot aired, there was in the news that Fox got an offer of over $2 billion for Tubi. So yeah. you obviously had a very high ROI, if that's if there's any correlation in that. Oh, but I thought, that came out before, I think. The oh, did it really? Yeah, in anticipation of the Super Bowl. I, I think we'd be at like four or five now for an offer after Super Bowl, but we'll have to ask Lachlan. But that was before, yeah. Well, I thought your efforts this year were so amazing. So, Dana, what did you think about Tubi this year? I have to ask you, Nicole, because we had a long debate when we were looking at concepts yeah. about stunt-type object. Please, I'm dying to know sort of how hard was that to get approved you know, through you, through your team members, through your executives, because that is a very specific strategy. And, of course, you had another spot, of course, but... The stunt type object is a, a bold move. So tell us, I would love to hear about so that. I can tell you the backstory, which is very interesting, but um, Mischief came up with this idea of hacking the interface. And mm -hmm. we thought about hacking a generic car ad because okay. people watch mm -hmm. the ad so intensely. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't, you know, I'm new to this organization. I started in August. I didn't know the kind of room I'm walking into, what the creative energy was going to be. So we presented rabbit holes. We talked about it. And um, it was actually with Lachlan. And he was like, I feel like nobody knows the product and people need to see the product. And I was like, well, we actually have this kind of edgy thing that and I just kind of soft pitched it. And um, Fox Sports was in the meeting and they're like, hack the game. Like you can hack the broadcast. And I'm amazing. Like, I can mm -hmm. what? <laughs> and so it's different because, you know, Fox is, you know, hosting the Super Bowl. We can make things like that as an organization happen. And so it was really just luck and evolution and actually having a, a construct of an idea, not even imagining that they would even let me do that. And then it just kind of free flowing in the conversation and a big partnership with the, you know, CMO of Fox Sports, Robert Gottlieb, because he was like, we have to make this authentic. How would we do it? Like, how would it look real? And so um, they really leaned in and, and helped execute that. You have all this momentum now, all this buzz, all this attention. What, where do you go from here? How do you build on this most amazing momentum? So many people have challenges like that, right? 
Yeah. And I just, um, I think everyone else in the room has done this before. This is my first time. And mm. I think I haven't even had a chance to enjoy it because I'm just like, <gasps> how do I follow on this? Like, what's next? How do we keep that momentum? Um, not that I'm not proud and there's a moment to be proud. And my um, team got me a Super Bowl dupe ring. But um, I just think, how do you, the bar is set and how do you keep doing it year after year? I think it was my first year. We had very, you know, specific constraints on budget, on timelines. Uh, we don't pay for commercial time. You don't know when your spots are going to air. It's kind of like the Wild West at Fox three days before. So you have to create a lot of things and things are going to change last minute and you have to be flexible. The spots moved, the amount of time we got moved. So, um, so I think that I just wonder uh, like, how do you continue and mm -hmm. what it feels like your second time? Cause your first time, I think that the expectation is like, oh, we're going to do this thing and we hope it's good, but it's not like always comparing to yourself, right? Your own benchmarks, which I think is, is a challenge going forward, right? Ty did so much interruptive work a few years ago when they took over the Super Bowl. This kind of reminded me of that, that kind of impact that you had. Just everyone was talking about it. And when you did the takeover of the screen, our, our house went nuts. It was all this screaming all over the house because we had a couple TVs on. We had a lot of young kids over. All this screaming. And that was it was so good. So congrats. Yeah, well we done. Lucky in the sense that the game was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Eagles. It was so close. I mean, that spot moved a million times when they moved me to Q4. I was like, no, this is going to be terrible. And Aaron, it was like, it actually built scary. to it. <laughs> yeah. Quarter four is scary. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone's too young for this. Um, but boy, oh boy, the eighties, the mid eighties to mid nineties was a disaster. Every game was a blowout and quarter three and four was just like death. And you know, luckily the parody of the NFL now, I think really helps us as marketers where most games are still going to be fairly close in third and fourth quarter, but fourth quarter still, you know, that I remember, was it the Michael B. Jordan Amazon ad with the Chiefs, you know, Tampa game, which got a little bit out of hand towards the end. I remember thinking that was a really strong potential ad that like really never caught it, though if it was in the mm -hmm. first quarter, I felt would have had a lot more juice. And so that talk about like, timing. And I think, you know, the tide hack, Jim, and I know Nick worked on that when he was at another agency, like there was some really good stuff going on with that, but that's commercial within commercial. Yeah. Back to what Nicole's saying, which is like the, the serendipity of just speaking out loud. This is a, that's a big learning for what I just took away from Nicole is too many people here sit, even at this level, sit on ideas and just let them pass, which is like one of like the, the amount of really not great thought starters that come out of my mouth in meetings is like a lot, but it's because I lack Todd shaking his head. Yes. There. Yeah. It's because I lack <laughs> the fear. I lack the fear yeah. that yeah. it's, you know, that's fine. Even sometimes by the time it's out of my mouth, I'm like, eh, I didn't even like that. My darn self, but that might make Sam M who's on here say, but yes, but like we do not have an and and lack of fear culture in marketing that we have in other parts of the business universe that I play in. And I think, again, trying to think of themes for everyone to walk away from, if anything, if Nicole, and I know her very well, because we spent a lot of time together, if she wasn't who she was and didn't have the ability to do that, then what happened Sunday doesn't happen. I think a lot of people here, even at the level they are today, sometimes in the midst of a, the thing that I've always struggled with, with creative agencies, 
is they use subconscious or conscious behaviors towards their clients to impose their creative subjectivity as if they're so much more creative, you know, back to the Todd thing I mentioned. And I think everyone here, even if you were, you know, some of the CMOs here came up the analytics track and have just decided that they're not as creative as like the fancy characters on the other side of their table. And I think that's completely wrong. I think that we, with our creative model over the last three years, to Rob, back to his journey, have proven actually good ideas can come from anywhere, including someone who's worked here for seven days versus been a creative director at four fancy shops. That's a big transformation. And I think if anybody, if you wanna leave with something out of this, we need to talk more in these meetings because our talking may not be the good thing. It just might be the seed of a great thing that somebody else picks up on. And back to everyone being leaders here, we must eliminate fear, eye rolling. Like the, I hate the human behavior that makes someone feel inferior in all shapes in life. And we definitely need to get that out of every creative meeting we're in because it nothing kills creativity more than a douchebag creative lead or a douchebag client that makes everyone feel like shit because they put out their subjective thing and then somebody in there thinks that their subjective thing is more better because of some bullshit award, ad meter, ad week, uh, can lion, it's all not real. And please don't use not real to not be nice. Nicole, congrats. What an amazing, amazing effort. All right, now let's bring into this dialogue Tim Armstrong, the founder and CEO of Flowcode, and by the way, a dear friend for many, many years. Tim, it's so good to see you at the Super Bowl after party. You are a resident technology and marketing prognosticator. So I want you to tell us at the end of this discussion, what's your major takeaways from all the marketing efforts we saw at Super Bowl 2023? Jim, I'll tell you one uh, one thing. I have Ellie Feely here with me, by the way, who does all Hi, of Ellie. our football activations. Hi. And um, here are my two huge okay. takeaways from the Super Bowl. One is I was saying that, that uh, capital kills creativity. And the opposite is true is when you're in a capital-constrained environment, I think more creativity comes out. And I would say the Super Bowl this year for me was one of the most creative Super Bowls with brands partnering like G and Netflix. And then the partnership you saw between talent and brands and uh, I love the fact that because we're a capital constrained in a country and as a marketing set of organizations, there was actually more creativity in the Super Bowl this year. That was one. And the second one was how many brands are starting to go direct to consumer yeah. and think about how they connect it. So those are the two huge takeaways uh, on my end for su summary of the Super Bowl. I want to ask Ellie what her favorite ad was. Oh, um, I mean, I, I'm going to be fully biased. It was the planters ad because it had a flow code. Um, but I think all the ads that just had like a very authentic um, connection. So I thought that, you know, the, the Dunkin' Donuts ad was fantastic with Ben Affleck. And I think that something like that is hopefully where everyone's going in the future. But the QR codes were everywhere across the Super Bowl. And that was definitely a big takeaway. And how did Apple do with their first halftime show? Fantastic. But I'm a huge Rihanna fan, so... <laughs> You know, yeah. gotta, gotta say. I thought that was another incredible part of the Super Bowl, by the way, is the fact that like Rihanna was pregnant and put on like one of the most incredible shows um, ever. Like just like an awesome testament to uh, the entertainment, how entertainment and sports mixes and Rihanna's so talented. That was, that was a tremendous. 
So last year when we did the after party, Coinbase was the big hero of the Super Bowl ad campaigns. And this year, so many brands were created with QR codes and their activations, you know, Mick Ultra and Netflix, Avocados from Mexico, Limit Break, of course. You guys are in the middle of this. What are we learning about the potential of this technology to engage people and to grow brands? I thought two things, Jim. I, I think we learned one thing, which is Coinbase's uh, code and experience broke last year. Mm -hmm. So this year, we, there was a split between codes that worked and the, and the brands figured out the experience and codes that were broken, which we'll rename. I, I'm not going to say which, which codes they were. But I would say this. The second point is the most important, which is if you're putting marketing in front of 100 million people and you're not giving them a chance, if I said you had a website with 100 million people and you weren't able to connect any data or connect with them directly, you'd say I was crazy. I think advertisers are crazy to put stuff in front of 100 million people. You can connect their emotional, their hearts and brains. Every consumer has a smartphone, and I think the most important thing you can do is respect their heart, their brain, but they also love their smartphones. You should, you should put things like flow codes or QR on your marketing because it just gives another outlet pass for you as a brand to say, I want to be connected. It's a signal of connection more than it is anything else. When you think about the Super Bowl, Ellie and Tim, I don't know, three or four years from now. What do you think the presentations, the ads, whatever you want to call them to consumers will look like? I mean, I think all of them will have really strong calls to action. Like everything is going to be around an activation of product launch with a code that has a special offer in it and really activating that. And then I think on in like in stadium, which we're seeing already take off is this whole second screen mentality that yes, the game is going on, but what virtual components, what in, can you bring in? How can you engage your fans better? And this is the only time in the year where you have that number of a captive audience and what are the companies and the teams and the players going to do to just engage those eyeballs to the best of their ability. And I, and I think Web3 will be a bigger piece. I think the other thing that um, the world hasn't seen yet is there's a huge opportunity very simply to connect the blockchain to viewing experiences. And I think there's things like AR and uh, certainly a lot more things connected to a changing environment in sports. But part of the changing environment is it's it's two way or no way in the future. I think if you don't if you don't engage the audience other than just viewing, I, I just the way gaming has taken off and things have become two ways. I think if you don't do that in five years, you're going to regret it. Or, or I, I think sooner, but five years uh, five years is two way or no way. So you've been guests on this Super Bowl after party, but you're at the NBA Tech Summit. What are the themes going on at the NBA Tech Summit that we should know about? Um, Web3 is a very, very big emphasis right now. Um, I think going back to what we talked about earlier, but this like authenticity, we just got off the um, panel about influencers and influencing and, you know, how brands are able to connect with these influencers and making sure that, you know, there's an actual fit there, um, which, you know, for Flow Code and the NBA, there is a great fit there. And we're definitely an organic sense that um, eight to nine teams use Flow Code as a product. And so it was a natural fit for us to work and partner with the NBA. Um, and then same ways, I think that all these other brands are starting to realize this um, across the ecosystem right now. And I, I think one of the big things Ellie hit on was um, your audience has to be uh, deep and wide, not uh, wide and shallow. And I think that there were talking mm -hmm. about a lot of the differences with brands and influencers and sports. Some things move the needle for moving product and ROI and some things don't. And it's not always the biggest 
it's usually the best, the most authentic. And uh, that, that seemed like a really major theme. I'd say the other quick theme is I think sports is starting to mix with other categories. In a, you saw it on the Super Bowl, but mm-hmm. every panel here at the Tech Summit really talked about how much the audiences are changing in terms of digital connectivity. And that digital connectivity allows you to mix things together. It's almost like what's happening in music with DJs. Sports is starting to mix with music and fashion. And, and it's like it's a much bigger industry than just sports on its own now. Well, Ellie and Tim, thanks for jumping out of the NBA Tech Summit to join our Super Bowl after party. Get back to your good times. I see it's sunny there. It looks it looks beautiful. So thanks again for joining our party. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Jim. You. We appreciate it. Andrea Sullivan, the CMO at VaynerMedia, and one of my favorite people. Would you join us now to sort of close us out with a few hot takes? We got some great folks in the audience that I, we thought we might, we might bring up and ask them what their hot takes were from the game. So can we bring up Ian Trombetta from the NFL? Great work. Well done, Ian. Wow. Busy couple of weeks. Great to be here. Ian, we'd love to hear from you a little bit about everybody's talking about the halftime show. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was great. Um Rihanna was fantastic. Obviously, new partner with Apple Music. So there, there was quite a bit to get onboarded with them. I thought they did a really nice job, a lot to live up to with Pepsi in the last several years. So they did a great job. And, and the, obviously, Rihanna being pregnant, uh, which we learned, at least I learned very late in the week during rehearsals. That was such a, a, a huge moment, um, you know, for for us as well as for for her and the audience at home. Um, a couple of things that I just like to touch on, if you don't mind, just listening to the conversation. Um, you know, the Super Bowl, it, it's actually bigger than I think many people actually know. Uh, it's actually bigger than the 113 million people that Nielsen rates. What happens is they're measuring that off of an average household uh, that's that's watching TV on, on a normal basis. But if you take the Super Bowl, which we've actually worked on some custom analysis with them, it's well over 200 million that are actually watching the Super Bowl live and such a powerful moment on social as well. It's the most powerful moment on social of the year, hands down. So whichever way you're looking at it through linear or through social, and obviously you should all be thinking about it just in terms of the surround sound on the day of, but also the week leading into it. There are so many great moments and hype building up into the Super Bowl, starting with opening night. And I think, you know, Laura, who was on earlier, Jen at the Eagles, they both did a terrific job of leaning into that moment when the teams arrived. So really when that happens, the hype machine is starting and and nothing really else is, is really invading the culture other than the Super Bowl conversation and that build up to the actual game itself. So lots of, I think, great uh, momentum heading into next year in Las Vegas and you know, Gary, you you had mentioned the international growth, and that's something I'd love to talk about maybe maybe that at another time. But that is a major focus for us as well. So super exciting, and and obviously great results for for hopefully everyone here. Thank you, Ian. Congrats. We want to bring up Andrea Zaretsky next from E Trade. Hi, how are you? Fantastic, Andrea. You've been E Trade's been on the Super Bowl off and on for yep. fifteen years. So love want to hear this hot take for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, first of all, it's great to be here. And I loved the work this year. I thought it was incredible. I think in addition to all the levity, I think emotion was on the field this year. The two dog commercials, I think, mm-hmm. really captured everyone's hearts. You know, sometimes we hope it's babies, but uh, dogs, I think, did a really good job. Faith was on the field. I thought that was uh, a new one. 
with the two commercials that got a, got a lot of talk. But I agree with you. I think everyone's being a lot more holistic and thinking through their whole strategy to make the most of pregame, day of, and after the game. I'm seeing that from all of the brands. And I think that really helps with the investment and all the conversations you're having about ROI. How do you continue the momentum? I think that's the name of the game. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. We've got one more. Google. I we can bring Zach Overton. And I know, Gary, thank you so I, much. Zach, I don't uh, jump in here. I, I also just want to say, it, I agree, E-Trade Baby, I do think is truly top 10 all time. Um, I think we can all agree with that. I agree. But I just want to thank everybody. I, I really, hence why I'm jumping off, I have to go to a five o'clock. It's a little bit of an important fire. But just knowing how busy everybody is, that all of you continue to show up to these. And I'll leave you with the thing that matters to me the most. You need to hire people for your teams. I think we've groomed some of the most contemporary best talent in the world. That played out today with Nicole on here. Um, if there's anything I can help you with, whatever you need, just reach out and uh, I'll let you all continue here. I'll see you all soon. See you, Gary. Thank you. Gary. As always, Jim, you're the best. Thanks for joining us, Zach. So Google, you were one of the favorite, I can say, in our living room. Would love Me to too. hear what your hot takes are. Yeah, super fun. Oh, thank you so much. I I really appreciate that. Yeah. Um. Uh. I mean, I I think there was a there was a, a levity this year that was um that was really really nice and sort of needed given the the current social economic climate. I mean, even for us, it was quite a pivot from the emotive, uh, storytelling that we've typically done in the past with stuff like Loretta and Parisian Love and Seen on Pixel. So, um, I think a lot of brands had had a little bit more fun than usual this year. Um, so, and, and it was, it was really fun for us to take a more comedic, uh, st stance on it as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Zach. Thank Jim, you. I don't think we can pack any more in. Right. I wish we could. But, uh, no, it was very, I, listen, I'm very proud of the industry and all of you for the work this year. I think it was strategically smart. It was creatively executed and that's just good for all of us. It's good for our companies, good for our consumers, good for the economy. So well done really, really fabulous year. And many of you have said that. I think it was a great body of work, which is an indication of, of what our organizations are capable of. And I think let's keep it going. Thanks so much to everybody for joining the after party and have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Andrea. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody, for joining. We'll see you soon. That was our fourth annual Super Bowl after party. Three takeaways from this one for your business brand and life. First, the big game can have a big ROI. We heard it from Dane at Rakuten, from Rafik at Planners, and from Todd at Pepsi. But you need to treat the game just like you treat any major initiative, product or otherwise. Second takeaway, celebrities can be strategic and effective. And there were lots of stories on how to work with creative talent in this total body of work in Super Bowl 2023. Will Farrell with GM was one case in point, so was Doritos and Jack Harlow. Third takeaway, and a fundamental one in creating work that breaks through and builds a brand. Always, always start with a simple and inspiring brief. Have a big ambition. Build trust with great partners inside and outside the company. And have the courage to try something new. Tubi was a great example of all of that coming together this Super Bowl. Next year, my prediction, Bengals versus Eagles. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.